I trust that's our heart prayer this morning, where he leads off, follow. You know, I feel that certain that Christ wants to grow us. He wants to grow our church. He wants to grow us individually. We see growth taking place outside. You know, foundations were put in. A floor was put in. We see everything in place for some real growth to take place or to, to start, to begin. But really, you know, that there's a lot of work that's preliminary work that had to happen for the growth to take place. There had to be lots of steel go in the ground, tons of steel to go in the ground. Um, I don't think I'm stretching that tons. There's a lot. Uh, um, I don't remember exactly the poundage, but I remember being shocked at seeing that slip that said the weight of all the steel. Um, literally tons and tons of concrete, no doubt about that. You know, that's, it took a lot to make, to bring about growth. And God, and I'm, I'm, I think God's interested in, in seeing that steel out there and seeing it go together. I think God is interested in seeing it go up, the building being built. But this morning, he's a lot more interested in seeing us grow as a church, as a congregation. You know, I have this fear. I, don't, I hope it's not, I hope it's unfounded. But it seems so many times when buildings grow, spirituality decreases. And we don't want that to happen here. We want to, we want uh, growth to, to continue. We want a vibrant church, a church that is using its tools as an instrument of, of real solid uh, spiritual growth, right? I believe that's the case with us. And we're passionate about that, I believe. We, we want to see the work of God move forward. Um, this morning, I'm going to be sharing out of Philippians 1.27. And I'd, I'd invite you to open your Bibles to that. I've titled this message, uh, Conduct Worthy of Christ. Now this, Philippians is one chapter of the Bible where we don't see reference, or at least according from what I've read and according to commentaries, you don't see reference going back to the Old Testament. And that's because uh, Paul was addressing a church here that was wholly Gentile. It was... A proud, he was addressing a, 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 a church located in a proud city, uh, a city that was recognized for its upstanding members. And these were members of the Gentile, uh, members of the Gentile community. Uh, they were Italian. Um, a lot of the, the landowners there were Italian, uh, former uh, military officers and that, that sort of people. So these were people of, of good standing in Rome, people that, uh, that were proud of their country, were proud of their city. They had a prosperous city. It was a city that wasn't, you wouldn't miss. And I think that's the reason why Paul addresses some of his language here in Philippians the way he does. I'd like to read verse... 21 21 through 27 oh wait a minute I'll, maybe I'll move forward a little forward to 
25, and having this confidence, verse 25, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all, all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me by my coming to you again. And then he goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, he's right he, in, in the early part of the chapter, and I'm not going to, to read this for, for sake of time, but he said he's writing this from prison. Paul wrote this while he was in, in house prison, so he had a good bit of, of liberty when he was writing this, this epistle. So he, he's, he's telling them he hopes to come see them. He's, he's expecting to be released. He wants to come see them. Then he goes on to say this, Only let your conversation be as becometh of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and that you stand fast, in one spirit, being with one mind, striving together for the sake of the gospel. I'd like to read this in the NIV again. Only let your conduct, in verse 27, be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So going back here again, and I would like to zero in on this, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ transcends all boundaries, it transcends ethnicities, it transcends customs. The, the Gentile and the Jewish Christians didn't look alike. Um, and of course, maybe they didn't have this going on here at Philippi. You know, the, the Gentile and Jewish um, thing of trying to fit together. But Paul addressed that in Romans. He, he, he let them know that there were some differences that were possible. There were feast days that the Gentiles didn't need to celebrate. Uh, there, were, there were other things that came up. There were differences in their culture, but they didn't have to do all the same, and that was okay. But Paul goes on to say, but let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I know I'm bringing two scriptures together here, Romans 14 and, and this chapter, um, but I think they fit well together, actually. When you look back at Romans 14, Paul's saying that there can be differences. And don't judge each other for that. But then here he says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, there, so, so it does give an absolute. There is an absolute. There is a conduct that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Paul is calling them to that. So what would be these absolutes? What would be the dis distinguishing characteristic of, of a citizen of the gospel of Christ. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world. So you're the light, something that's seen, visible. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. So he's, he's comparing to the disciples, and I think feel very strongly that speaks to us too, because we are disciples of Christ, Christians, as being a light of the world. You, we are a light. We're bringing out Christ. A city that is set on a hill. We are set on a hill. We're set apart. 
Here again, Philippi was a distinguished city. It was a city that couldn't be hid. You, you couldn't just take and say, well, you know, blink your eye and it was gone. It was an upper crust uh, sort of city. Um, it was a city that demanded recognition because of its trading and because of its membership in the, uh, the Roman Union, not the Euro Union, but the Roman Union. They had full rights. Um, Paul saying to the Christians there, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Jesus says, you're the light. You're a city set on a hill. You're visible. If we're Christians, we're part of the kingdom of God. We're a city, city, we're part of the city set on a hill, not because of who we are. We don't establish ourselves, build our own base, make ourselves big. It's because of who we belong to. We belong to Christ. We take orders from Christ. We identify with Christ, and that makes us a city set on a hill, situated on a hill, elevated. So, all that, so that men can see, visible. Again, not that we seek to be visible, but we just are by being part of the kingdom of Christ. If we're dedicated, godly people, we'll stand out in spite of our failures, our shortcomings, our lack of being what we want to be, we'll still stand out. Now that doesn't say that, that doesn't give us room to uh, be lazy in our Christian walk and so forth. But uh, it does allow, it, 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 it does mean that people see, can see who we are by whom we're, by, by, for who we're serving. We're a city set on a hill. We're a light. And even in our failures and shortcomings, they can see Christ coming through that by the way we handle those, by the way we respond. Thinking of light again, uh, we heard Brother Dan spoke of light in the, in the youth, to the youth. And, and uh, I had shared on that sometime before that. It's, it's a fascinating subject when you think of light and the comparisons there are of light to, to godliness. Light shows the path. Um, and that's good. We like to see where we're going. You know, everyone should want to see where they're going. Light exposes hidden things. It exposes evil things even. Um, you know, if you're like me, you don't want to go into the woodpile in the summertime and not have plenty of light and be able to carefully pull out the pieces because you don't know what snake, what copperhead might be hiding, hiding behind that piece of wood or... You don't want to go down and pick up a, you know, something in the dark and think that maybe there's a black widow spider underneath it. Or maybe you don't even want to go to the basement and not be able to flip, turn the light on in case there might be someone hiding down there. Uh, exposing one of my, my, uh, my little idiosyncrasies. You know, we're, we're natural, I think. We don't, we don't like darkness. We don't like not being able to identify what's there. Uh, we like to be able to, to see. And that's good. Uh, and I'd like to draw a bit of a parable. Light exposes the fruits of darkness. It shows darkness for what it is. And that's good. Everyone should want to avoid being bitten or eating evil fruit. 
Light provides warmth. It's a source of health. That's good. Everyone should, be want, everyone should want to be warm and be healthy, right? And that's what we're called to be. We're called to be light to the world. But, you know, unfortunately, not everyone appreciates seeing the path. You know, I'm a child of the heavenly kingdom. I believe that with all my heart. And yet I'm appalled at my own tendency to uh, times uh, uh, want to avoid the light, want to not really see things clearly according to God's word. And there are people who embrace evil fruit and sickness. A literal example of this is, uh, is a Velvedide family and the death of the saloon, if you read that book by Pablo Yoder. You know, it's, 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 it's heart-wrenching when you see a family that, that could be moving towards God, could be moving towards holiness, could have a wonderful, um, good relationship. This large family had so much potential be ruined by literally eating rotten fruit, you know, by drinking whiskey by the whiskey mill. Um, and, and they literally embraced evil fruit and it, it ruined them. It ruined them. They got sick. They got, uh, they, they were emotionally destroyed. They experienced deep spiritual darkness. And that was from a, a physical fruit, you, you might say. But it, it was something much deeper than that. It was a spiritual darkness that came in with, with them and embracing that, uh, and them giving themselves to that, that natural desire. Um, so there's, there's a lot of people that are embracing evil fruit. And it's easy for us. We find that tendency in ourselves. Even as, as children of light, we, we can have a tendency to do that. You know, how often um, are we tempted? You know, the evil fruit, I'm thinking of, of Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, and you can read that if, later. But it talks about the fruits of darkness or the fruits that aren't of, of, of the Spirit. But how often are we tantalized and tempted or bewitched by these evil fruits? Um, we hear the entertaining voice of the serpent saying, you know, yea, hath God really said? Uh, or we hear that tempter's voice saying, God's trying to withhold something from you. He's kind of mean and, you know, you shouldn't, uh, this isn't right. God shouldn't be doing this to you. You know, how often do we entertain the tempter's voice like that? We listen, we, we take in, and it allows us, we allow him to, to influence our course of action a bit. There are people that don't want to be warm. You know, although being warm is good. Uh, they want to keep their distance from, from true life. And these people are cold. They can't be healthy because they're not taking in the vibrancy of the Spirit of God. They're not taking in, soaking in uh, God. And, and because of that, they resist the warmth. They become cold. But how about ourselves? How about myself? How many times have I found myself becoming warm, lukewarm, bland? You know, God talks about this 
and Christ talks about this in, in Revelations. He says, because thou art lukewarm, he's talking about a church there, and neither cold nor hot, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. And I think it may have been talking about the church here in, in Philippi. I'm not sure. But because you're not warm and you're, you're not cold, you're, you're a disgusting taste to me. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to get rid of you. You know, how many times have I found myself in that situation? Have you found yourself there? So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, to summarize this little part here, um, you know, while we're children of light and belong to the heavenly city, it's very real for us earthlings to feel the pull of, of the kingdom of this world. That's real, and we have to acknowledge that. We just can't afford to back up and, and say, no, you know, that just doesn't bother me. Uh, I'm a Christian, and, and you know, uh, and just to, to become complacent on that platform. You know, how many times are we like Saul? You know, we find the light blinding instead of Paul and finding the light revealing and finding the light life-giving. How many times are, do we find ourselves even, you know, like Saul there? We're, we're like, we don't want to see the light. We want to back up from it. Even as children of the heavenly, we find ourselves tempted with corrupted fruit. Fruit that sickens, that maims, destroys, kills. Fruit that God never intended for his children to have. Um, fruit that can lead to separation from God. How many times do we find ourselves focusing on the forbidden instead of truly focusing and taking in the nourishing fruit that God has for us? The good fruit, clean fruit, wholesome fruit that's life-giving. You know, even as children of light who should enjoy, relish, and the thought, uh, the, yeah, the thought comes to my mind, dance joyfully in the light of God. How many times are we tempted to look for the cave, somewhere to get away from the light, somewhere to escape the light, to get, a, you know, to get some, some shadow, get some shade, to get away from its intensity and its scrutiny, um, and there's plenty of ways for us to do that today. We can keep the CDs playing, maybe even good music in them. We can keep the radio going, you know, occupying our thoughts, all our window shield time thoughts. You know, letting that racket drone out the still small inner voice of God that would speak to us. Um, we can browse the internet the minute we have a bit of spare time. And I'm not just talking about going home and browsing the internet. There's a lot of good on the internet, and I'm not saying that there isn't. But, you know, how, what, it, it, can be a, it can be a tremendous distraction for us. And, and I'm not, that's just one of many things that can distract us from, from gathering light when we have the opportunity to. And we can gather light on the internet. There's good articles there. There's, um, there's um, plenty of good. But let's remember, the devil isn't necessarily concerned about how he gets our attention or he's not, he, he's not concerned about uh, 
I don't think so much about um, where he takes us to, but how that he can distract us from, how he can create a bit of a separation, how he can take away our fervor and turn us from hot into bland. And in, when we're distracted, he has a lot of opportunity to do that. The less contact we have with our creator, the greater the temptation. And when we become distracted, the less contact we have with our creator, the greater the temptation, fruits of darkness present themselves. The less contact, or the less contact, the less connect we have with our creator, the greater the temptation, the fruits of darkness present. Our spiritual immune systems collapse when we move out of light. And a warm, bland spiritual life is not where God wants us. He doesn't want a half, half attempt from us. He wants us holy. It's not where he wants us to be. And really, it's a very dangerous spot for us to be when we think about it. To, 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 it's, you know, it, it opens the door. It makes us weak. We need to get close enough to the light that painful though it be that the, the scales, the spiritual scales in our eyes uh, become apparent and we cry out for mercy. We cry out in repentance like Saul did. We cry out, you know, Lord help me. The heavenly citizen will determine to meet with his fellow countrymen. Think of yourself, you're in this I wish I had a, a picture of a European castle here. That's what keeps coming to my mind. And in Romania, we had uh, all these castles we could visit. And um, there, were, there was Sigishwada, and there, was, uh, there, were, there were a lot of different castles we could visit. And these were set up on a hill usually, or set up, you know, maybe they were in the valley, but they were up on a knoll there, and they were well protected, and... You saw them from a long distance often. And I wish I had a picture of that, but imagine yourself, you're part of that medieval city. You're a citizen there. Um, you know that it's with this group of people that you find safety. You're invested with them. You've cast your lot with them. You were born maybe in their midst. Um, you know if they go down, you go down. If they... If they uh, grow, you grow. If you grow, they grow. So you're pretty concerned about keeping your relationships good with them. And you're pretty concerned about, you know, um, identifying with them. In other words, you don't want to come in uh, after the gates are shut and say you're part of the enemy because um, they'd probably take you out. Just go ahead and knock you with an arrow and and drop you in the moat there for, for the dogs to pick up the next morning. So, you know, you're, you're, you're really concerned about identifying with them. You're, you're really concerned about uh, maintaining um, good relationships with, with them. You don't want to be cast out of that city. And, and I think Paul was referring to this in, with the church in Philippi. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There are the, the Philippians, I think, their upper crust were, were 
concerned about being worthy of, of that citizenship there, of fitting into their society. Paul's telling these Christians here, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So as, as citizens, we'd want to meet together, wouldn't we? That would be a characteristic of, uh, of ours, citizens of the, of the heavenly kingdom. We'd want to meet together. That would be part of our conduct. And I, I pull this from Hebrews as well. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. We're commanded to consider, to take thought of, to take thought for each other in these verses in Hebrews 10, 24 through 27. To provoke each other to love and good works. To exhort. Why? He goes on to say, because outside of Christ and of his word, outside of the heavenly kingdom, there is no other path to salvation. If we reject that path to salvation, there's not another path. And why, again, because God has divinely appointed us to be part of the same local body uh, of believers. He's brought us here together in his wisdom. He's brought us here. And as of such, we're responsible to each other to help each other maintain our heavenly citizenship, to maintain growth, growth that's so much important, more important than getting the gym built, than building a building, spiritual growth. Again, what would be the distinguishing characteristics of a citizen of the gospel of Christ? What would be their conduct? Out of Malachi 2.15, has not God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? This is an interesting passage here. I love Malachi. It's, it's so full of uh, Malachi. It just really uh, comes in and puts it practical in many ways. But this, this one verse, um, Again, you know, what would be the distinguishing characters of a, of a citizen of the gospel of Christ? And I had to think of this verse. What does the one God seek? And he answers, godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And what Malachi was telling them there, if you go back and read those verses, he was saying, you belong to God in body and spirit. And he was speaking out against divorce. He was speaking out against uh, men, husbands, leaving their wives. And, and leaving their families. Uh, he's saying, really, your union of man and wife was not necessarily, or of husband and wife was not necessarily, uh, God didn't design that just for you. God designed that for, for his own glory. He wanted a godly offspring. Uh, you belong to him in body and spirit. This, this, he brought you all together to bring up a godly offspring, to bring up a, a children a people for him. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to your union, to, your, to the wife of your youth. 
I believe the heavenly citizen will be passionate about bringing up godly children. I'm not talking about um, somewhat interested in doing that, but I believe he'll be passionate about it. He'll want it with all his heart, or she'll want it with all her heart. She'll have a keen, they'll have a keen awareness that their children are a gift, a responsibility, and that God has a divine interest in seeing their children brought up to honor him and to be part of his kingdom. It's not going to be a passive, well, you can do this or that. It's going to be a passionate interest in seeing this godly seed, uh, this responsibility brought to the kingdom. Nothing to apologize about. In Romania, we, we, there was a thought there that, you know, it's okay if your children become Christians and it's okay if they want to do that, but wait till they're 18. You know, they don't, don't baptize them until they're 18 because they shouldn't do this until they, you know, they're on their own. And, uh, you know, that, that's the biggest lie. I don't believe there's any truth in that. Uh, children should have the, the uh, should be helped, should be, if there's a good path, if there's a better path, we should do all we can for the best interest of our children. There's no reason to, uh, to not do that. The heavenly citizen will not be ashamed of Christ. 2 Timothy 2.11 What's the conduct again of, the, of a heavenly citizen? What's the con conduct that's worthy of Christ? It is a faithful saying, for if we are dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And there are different ways Christ can be denied. Um, disobedience. Through disobedience, we can deny Christ. An unwillingness to identify with him as, as did Peter, that's a way of denying Christ. And I'm going to add this. It's a concern of mine, and it's a burden on my heart. An unwillingness to submit to the emblems of identification he ordained that Christ ordained. An unwillingness to submit to the emblems of identification Christ ordained. You know, think about this. Think about Christ leaving heaven, coming to earth, giving himself as a sacrificial lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Think of Christ spending that awful night in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating, as it were, it says, great drops of blood. Think of him in agony, asking the disciples to keep watch with him, but their eyes were heavy and angels came and ministered to him. You know, we look back there and we can easily say, well, you know, the disciples could have tried to stay awake. Uh, Peter could have tried to get back up. But now think that just ahead of this time, Christ had instituted the Lord's Supper. He had put in place something very special something we call today communion. He had washed the disciples' feet. He had commanded his disciples to do as he had done. And that extends to us. I firmly believe that. These are means of identification that Christ has instituted for the church. Not some priest, not some rabbi, or some preacher. But it was Christ that instituted these for the church. And there are other ordinances as well. 
that Christ, that the church practiced and, and, and commanded that are accepted ordinances of the church. There's baptism. There's the kiss of charity. There's the head covering. And these, again, are forms of identification. So if we're part of the body of Christ, if we're part of that heavenly kingdom, um, Jesus has established these as, as tokens of identification, of identifying with his body. And to lightly push these aside, to dismiss these because, well, the culture has changed. Or, you know, this or that or the other. Maybe even the church today doesn't really practice this anymore. I think it's putting ourselves in a very dangerous place. And I'm going to move ahead. I, I, uh, you know, I think of the kiss of charity, the holy kiss we call it. There's a lot, and I myself included, there are times that I wonder about that. You know, society has changed so much. There's such an emphasis today on the, on the um, you know, sexuality and, and that sort of thing. And, and there's people that will bring up, well, that's, you know, the kiss of charity could, you know, could be mistaken for something um, perverted for being gay or lesbian or that sort of thing. But I'm here to say that if we allow culture to dictate what our response is, then we're in a very dangerous situation. We need to make up our minds about things like this without taking culture into consideration. Furthermore, it's the case has been made, and I, I certainly believe this, uh, the cultures that practice the kiss of charity or practice a kiss like we would practice a holy kiss are not cultures that embrace uh, sexual perversion. You look at Muslims, you look at Jewish people, not to say that it doesn't happen in those cultures, but they don't embrace it, and it's not something that they permit. Um, and so what I'm saying here is that we need to take careful look at these, these ordinances and um, not make our decisions based on um, you know, what, what culture may be doing or not doing. You know, I want to be a part of a body of believers that practices everything that Christ wants for us, all the identification that Christ wants us to to um, exhibit. You know, I don't want to take a chance at denying Christ in any area. Uh, even though there's times that I resist, there's something within me that says, you know, I don't want to do this. And, and I want to let you know that this morning I'm not, I'm preaching just, I'm stepping on my toes just as hard as I'm stepping on yours. If you feel like I'm preaching at you, I probably am. But I'm also preaching at myself. If we're afraid of putting the word out there, if I don't do my job of, of putting the word out there, sharing the message the Lord shared with me and has wrestled with me with, then I've done you a disservice. And, and uh, I believe I'll be accountable for that. I feel like churchdom today is having a huge identity crisis because we're, we're too concerned about the culture. And, and we have to realize that the further the culture gets away from what we practice and what God calls for, the higher it will make us appear. The more elevated it, more elevated it will make us appear. The more visible we'll appear. And that's 
actually good. That's what God calls us to. He didn't, and, and it's not our fault. It's nothing, it's not our choice um, that God put these practices there, put these practices of the Lord's Supper, of, of these other, of these other uh, emblems and, and uh, ordinances there. It's not a choice we made, it's a choice Christ made. But it is a choice, we do have a choice of whether we're going to follow up, if we're going to obey or not obey. And I think we really risk denying Christ when we start backing up from there, from, from not obeying those. I, we, had a, uh, we had a communion service here and a customer of ours was here when we had this communion service and we practiced feet washing, of course. And later she, uh, this customer was like, we did that growing up when I was a Baptist in, in West Virginia. And uh, of course we all know West Virginians come through as maybe a bit laid back, but that's okay. If they're biblical, that's, that's okay. Um, but I had to think, you know, when did they lose that? And why did they lose that? What was the reason for them having lost that? Um, there, there are things that we'll do that may make us feel a, a bit uncomfortable. But with practice, we will get comfortable and the Lord will bless us as he sees we're being obedient. You know, there's, there's times that I would prefer not to, to move ahead with something the Lord calls me to. Um, there's times I'd just prefer not to get out of bed in the morning. And yet, you know, because I do, I'm blessed. I learned to appreciate getting out of bed. I learned to appreciate the results. I feel good about myself. I feel it's the same way with, with some of these things that God calls us to that may look a bit quaint and old-fashioned to the world. But I want to let you know it's, it's good stuff. It's, it's good stuff because it comes from Christ. And it's light. It can be light and salt. It can draw us together and help us grow together. Help grow us. Wow, I'm running over time here. I'm sorry about that. But I've got one more to share. The heavenly citizen will love his fellow countrymen. That's the conduct of worthy of the gospel of Christ. And John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he goes on to say, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. This is a love that runs deep. It's loyal. It looks to lift up and strengthen our fellow brethren. This is a love that cares deeply about each other. A love that's willing to work through the problems. Take advice and take heed. Exhort and be exhorted. This is a love that cares enough to give up individuality or the individual agenda for the sake of the collective body's agenda. And this takes a lot of giving and, and loving and, and uh, you know, just it takes, it takes more than what we, capacity than what we have as humans, I believe. It, it's, it's something that's a fruit of the spirit that we can exercise. Quickly would like to read this yet. A song that was sung here at a wedding recently impressed me. Thinking of the body of Christ and thinking of, 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 of being worthy 
walk conducting ourselves worthy of the body of Christ and our attitude towards the body, I think this will expresses how beautiful the hands that serve the wine and the bread and the sons of the earth. How beautiful the feet that walk the long dusty roads and the hill to the cross. How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ. How beautiful the heart that bled that took all my sin and bore it instead. How beautiful the tender eyes that chose to forgive and never despise. How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ. And as he laid down his life, we offer this sacrifice that we will live, that we will live just as he died, willing to pay the price, willing to pay the price. How beautiful the radiant bride who waits for her groom with his light in her eyes. How beautiful when humble hearts give the fruit of pure lives so that others may live. How beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ. How beautiful the feet that bring the sound of good news and the love of the King. How beautiful the hands that serve the wine and the bread and the sons of the earth. How beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is the body of Christ. That ye may walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1.10. God bless you.